I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. It's time to take command with former NFL tight end Logan Paulson and former Commander's Beat reporter Craig Hoffman. Take Command Podcast. What's up? What's happening? I'm Craig Hoffman, back from Las Vegas. That is Logan Paulson. You never left. No, didn't leave. Didn't go anywhere. How was Vegas? Vegas was awesome. Um, we had a tremendous three days of radio shows. We had a great time. Got to meet a bunch of people. Um, it, it's always great being on a radio row, as you know, being at these NFL events, whether it's the Combine, whether it's the Senior Bowl, whatever. Like These people that you may talk to on the phone or you may text with or you may have on a show, and you finally get to meet them in person. And so that that was really fun. Um, you know, Bomani Jones and I kind of had that conversation on the air, which is a lot of fun. Uh, we were just talking about how like that was, for Bo and I, like we, he's been on my show a bunch, um, you know, and is, is a great guy that I've gotten to know over the years, but like we never actually met in person. And so we were talking about kind of that phenomenon, uh, not only with each other, but with so many other people. He had a great line talking about like the, how'd you get my number crew? Uh, I met a lot of those. <laughs> Uh, for the record, uh, as, as we established, Bomani gave me his phone number. Um, but a lot of people you get texts from, you're like, how'd you get my number uh, right. when you're you know in this business? But that is, uh, that's the fun of a, a place like Radio Row. Um, so it was a great time. And, and all of our stuff is on YouTube and in, in the Hoffman Show podcast feed if anyone wants to check it out. Um, but came back, watched the Super Bowl, talk about that to get things started here. And then we will get into some of the staffing decisions that have been made for the commanders is Dan Quinn spend some time building out his staff here in DC. But Logan, uh Patrick Mahomes, what more can you say? Like third Super Bowl win, yeah. third Super Bowl MVP. Uh numbers going into the final. He had 68 yards passing going into that final drive before halftime. He ends with 333, two touchdowns. Um Kelsey had one catch for one yard in the first half. He has 93 for the game, just those two figure out ways and big moments to do it again. And here we are with the Chiefs hoisting the Lombardi. Yeah, and that was kind of like the thought going into the week. It's like, you know, here's these, here's maybe the best team in football in San Fran in terms of roster, just depth and things like that. But I, I just couldn't bring myself to pick them to win the game because of Patrick Mahomes and what he does. And, I, you know, it's just it, every time I watch them play, it just shows you how important, even San Francisco, like Brock Purdy had, a, I think, a solid performance and did some of the things I'm going to describe here, just not to Patrick Mahomes level. And he's the guy that is becoming like an adjective in his own right, you know, Mahomesian and all this kind of stuff. And so just, you know, the draft's coming up. There's lots of quarterbacks, you know, that we're going to be looking at. And just the ability for him to create when the structure of the play is not there is just unbelievable. And the fact that him and Travis Kelsey have this incredible report, I know I'm not saying anything incredibly novel here, but I think back to 
uh, two years ago when I was watching a lot of Kansas City film, getting ready for EB to come in. And I just was like, he is special in that way. And in the biggest moments when the lights are brightest, like he gets it done. And so it, there's a there's a magic to it. You know, sometimes he's extending plays when he shouldn't, but you live with that because when he does it in the biggest moments, it ends up paying off for you. And I just think like having that playmaking piece is so incredibly vital. And then obviously the chemistry he's got with Travis Kelsey in particular is tr- tremendous. So. Yeah, I think what actually winds up getting underrated about Mahomes is what he does on schedule um, or how he recreates the schedule at times. And what teams have done over the last couple of years is played a lot more shell against them because they got so terrified mm. of Mahomes deep, and especially when when Tyreek was there. But still, a lot, of, a lot of teams play them that way to make sure that they don't get beat over the top um, because Mahomes is so ridiculous with what he can do with his arm. And the way last night, like, and I thought Kyle did a great job. Uh, I think it was on that that fourth quarter drive where they ultimately tie the game. But he, Kyle called that timeout because Wilkes kept putting, as most defensive coordinators do, like, hey, well, let's just play kind of the sticks. And Kansas City is so good at just, like, run four yards, turn around, bang. Yeah. Run four yards, turn around, bang. And, like, they just know in those moments the, the timing to maximize that play of getting, and it, it's little, like there's obviously so many sexy plays in the game, but like those types of things, the ability to understand, if I get the ball there, now my guys can have a chance to turn and get upfield. Like there isn't this need to throw the ball as far as I possibly can, but always know that I can, and that threat is going to open up a lot of other stuff. And I think that's in a lot of ways the magic of Mahomes and Kelsey is that that yeah. chemistry is turned up to 10. But you see it with MVS last night. You see it with a bunch of other guys last night where they're just able to get yards. And, you know, specifically in that, the the what ultimately winds up being the game-winning drive, I mean, the clutchness of that is ridiculous. Yeah. They convert fourth down, multiple third downs. He's eight of eight. That's the most completions I think he's ever had without a completion on any drive in his career. And it's in overtime to win the Super Bowl. Like, and that's the thing when we, if we were going to talk about it through the lens of other teams, like, I don't know that you can recreate that. I don't know if they're chasing that is worth it because he's one of one. Like he is the guy of this generation. There's one per generation and he's it. Yeah, no, I think that's a hundred percent right. And I think that's why you're always chasing that elite quarterback, but you said it, man, his composure, like he can do whatever, you know, his ability to understand, you know, he had a hard time with this. What was that? Two years ago, you know, kind of everyone started moving to shell and they had a really hard time kind of being patient. And now, you see him evolve. And I think that's the thing, you know, like I'm doing all this draft eval stuff and you remember that every player is a projection and the thing that you, that you cannot project or you want to project the most, in my opinion, is just like what they could be, but it takes a special person to kind of actualize that, you know, the ability to say, Hey man, we're getting this certain coverage structure. I'm okay. Hitting the five yard out the, the quick hitch, the underneath crosser, to Rashid Rice and then, you know, the great job by Travis Kelsey kind of creating that rub there late in the fourth quarter, or maybe that was overtime, I don't remember exactly. But those types of plays, man, like that wasn't what he was three years ago. And he's grown into this, you know, and, and understanding how to play a conservative brand of football at times and how, you know, when to like let it go. And I just, I don't want to say it was a perfect game from him because it definitely wasn't. He threw an interception, obviously. But his ability just to make plays, you know, when you need them. And you said, oh, he's operating out inside a structure. Yeah. But he does the outside of stuff structure great. His scrambles, right? The RPO stuff, like the the fourth and yeah. one where they're going to call the RPO. Like it's all there for him. And I think that's what what you have when you have a really really talented guy. And I mean, I think you look at that roster and you compare it to San Fran, and it's like you know the receivers are okay, tight ends probably a wash, offensive line maybe a wash, but he's the X factor in that group in terms of elevating that offensive skill position group and elevating that team. And it's just. You can't say enough good things about him. I know people don't want to hear that probably, but he is a fantastic football player that is is a lot of fun to watch, I think. I think the other thing that really sticks out for me is like his command of the moment and it's yeah. never too big for him. Um, he just he just gives that like, come on, Andy, give me the next play. He has that yeah. little hand signal that he does. It's like, come on. And I also think of like situational awareness. I mean, I, Nick Bosa to me like blows, I don't want to say like he blows the game, but like he blows a play that can make the game because on that fourth and one, like it's, Fourth and one, and it's the Chiefs. Patrick Mahomes is not handing that ball off. Like, why yeah. are you chasing the run? And, like, the moment, it, like, in the moment, if you can just have that awareness to be like, look, it's fourth and one. There ain't no way that – and it, and if he does hand it off, then I'm probably not making the play within one yard on on the backside of it anyway. I, I would be, if I was Nick Bosa, running full speed at Patrick Mahomes. 
And Whoa. instead he chases the run on the backside. Like, screw the assignment. It's it's like those kinds of things of like understanding the moment. And I think that, you know, on the other side, by the way, defensively, like Spags nailed those moments in yeah, terms he did. of the calls and and the situational awareness. And Romo talked about it a little bit on the broadcast of like sometimes you have to know the other guy. Sometimes yeah. you have to know, like, yes, the call says this, the assignment is this, but you have to, as a player and as a coach, understand the moment. And, like, Mahomes always understands the moment. And, that, like, when I say Bosa blows it, like, he blew it by doing his job. He got manipulated by the play. I was about but, to say, I think the thing about like, that, that is, I just want to point this out. Like, with yeah. the Bosa thing, like, I think that's a really well-designed play. And I think people sleep on how well-designed it is. And so... What I mean by that is you get in like an essentially a four by one. And they ran that same RPO earlier in the game. And you can tell by assignment, they basically ruled it so that he has the he has the dive. He has the uh, the handoff, right? And they're right. going to scrape somebody over the top. But because they're running a three receiver route concept and the back's running away, they basically account for every single coverage player to that side of the formation. So the guy that would normally scrape for the ball now has to match the back because it's a, it's a three receiver. It's a four receiver set, you know? So I think like that's just good. That's like you found a glitch in the matrix as a play caller, right? They are not lining up to it correctly. They can't, from a position standpoint, get it done. And if they were to shift over and you're to hand the ball off, like it's going to be a big game in the front side of the run. So again, like that to me is more Andy Reid, like putting a player in conflict. That's a good football player and Nick Bosa, right? He's an excellent football player, you know, one of the best at this position. But that's like, that's why that game is fun to watch because he found yeah. a glitch in the matrix in two critical moments that led to explosive plays for that offense. And it's awesome. You know, and it's not something they do a lot in season. They don't run him like that in season that much. He's a scrambler, obviously, but saying, hey, man, all our chips are on the line. Like, we need to bring this this type of play innovation up, I think, is, again, why, why you watch these football games, you know? Right, for sure. But I guess that's what kind of what I'm saying is, like, Bosa does his job, but, like, Mahomes plays out of structure and is But amazing. I guess what I'm saying to you is, like, if 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 he doesn't, like, let's say he, he does go upfield and Mahomes hands it off and you both scrape out, that's a it's fourth, and my, I guess what I would tell you is it's fourth and one with the Super Bowl on the line. Mahomes ain't handing that thing off. But I think the thing is like defensive structure. Like if I if I don't do what I'm supposed to do on his own read specifically, like if I don't do it and we both get the scraper over the top, like that's a first down either way. So like my and he's reading you. He's reading the defense. If they want to hand it to Isaiah Pacheco, either way, it's a first down is what I'm saying. And like so basically, like you're mad at a guy who can't be right, and you're saying that it's his fault they lost the game. Oh, I'm not. I think that's, I'm not I think mad that's unfair. At it. I think that's I am, unfair. I am saying if I if I am in control of the play as Nick Bosa, I am taking the ball out of Patrick Mahomes' hands. And I think it's still a first down is what I'm saying. Okay. Isaiah Pacheco, Isaiah Pacheco can get the first down all day. I'm it's, not letting Patrick so Mahomes what, get so the what, first So I guess down. what's the goal there? Is The goal is to stop them from getting a first down would be my feedback. The on goal that. is to take the ball out of Patrick Mahomes' hands and live with the result as opposed to putting the ball in Mahomes' hand and living with the result. Because I like right, my chances it, it, of the result better. It's still a first down, though, Craig. That's the thing that I, 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 I'm stuck on there. It's like you want him to run at the quarterback. I, I guess gotta, also he's gonna I'm, hand the I'm ball anticipating off. that Mahomes is not handing it off no matter what. Like but Mahomes is like, he, it's fourth down. I am not actually reading this. I am taking this ball because I, will, I would rather try to fling it to Travis Kelsey or make a play myself than hand this ball to Isaiah Pacheco. But he's reading the end. Like, that's his rule. Like, that's the thing. I, like, he's he, the end Holmes plays down. care about a rule with fourth and one with Super Bowl on the line. I think he does. Because, like, you know, I, I think that's why the play is designed. And Nick, Nick Bosa does what he's supposed to do. Plays down, you're right. But I think if he plays up the field, he hands the ball off. It's a first down either way. And I understand your perspective. But, like, again, that's not my job. And I got to rely on people to do their job. And, again, that's a well-designed play by Andy Reid that puts our defense in conflict and our defensive sure. rules. So, like, I, it's, I think it's unfair to levy that criticism against him on a play where he can, he literally cannot be right because you're reading. He's the read player in that system. I, I understand your point. I'm just I saying your in the point. moment. I think, I think you're wrong though. I think, I think it's it, unfair. I think it's unfair it, for it, us eating, eating cheese dip and curds on, uh, you know, on the, whatever. Super my Bowl lactose Sunday. intolerant ass was not eating cheese, yeah, whatever we're doing, but I was eating other, many other delicious foods. Um, I will say though, you talk about the good offensive design. Um, the fact that they ran corn dog again, uh, the play that basically won them the last Super Bowl, uh, that short motion and out, which causes tremendous conflict for the defense. Like that one, what a call uh, with the game on the line. And, and you just, you can't be right 
if you're the, I mean, you can be right for the defensive back, but like it takes so much communication. Yeah. And I think that's something that, um, in both of these teams, I kind of expected, I didn't expect a lot of field goals in this game. We wound up getting a couple, mm -hmm. um, longer ones. Uh, and in fact, it broke the, uh, Super Bowl record for a longest field goal multiple yeah. times in this game. But the red zone execution for these teams all year long has been so good. And I think it shows like the caliber of play caller and the play caliber of play designer both these guys are. And, you know, once once that ball is down inside the 10, uh, you're going, this game's over. And f think of how many teams, including the one that we talk about predominantly, like that just doesn't feel like the case. Yeah, no. Um, yeah, I mean, it was... <sighs> it was one of those games, man, that was just so, it just had everything you wanted. You know what I mean? And I know a lot of people were disappointed, but like the, the drama and like, I think the other thing that really stuck out to me is it was like defensive football was excellent. You know, there was a lot of really good defensive football, great special teams play. Obviously there's a muff punt, which is a mistake, but you know, the, the field position battle early on to kind of get them backed up. So yeah, man, it was, uh, it was, it was a fun game to watch. And again, I just come back to like the only thing that you can say about it. Cause like, turning the football over, possessing the football. They each had a turnover. They each had some bad special teams plays, whatever. It just really comes down to, like, Mahomes is just that dude, honestly. And I think, honestly, this is another thing we got to talk about is how good Kansas City's defense is. Like, yeah. he just did such a great – and you alluded to this already, but, like, holy cow, man. Like, Kyle in that third period is trying to get out of, like, this run-first tendency, and he's trying to run some play-action passes, and just the ability for them, the guys on the outside to match up at a high level – the, the pass rush to get Crazy. home, the pass rush to read through all the noise and guys to get to their spots. It was just, it was really impressive. And again, like I watched Kansas City's defense a little bit this year, but I hadn't watched them like that. And to see how good they were in live and living color and how good they are at every level of the defense, again, is, is really impressive. So, I mean, to shut down Kittle like they did is ridiculous. Um, you know, the outside guys, McDuffie, Sneed were phenomenal. Um, obviously up front, Chris Jones, it just how yeah. they, they do a good job of making him like, how was he unblocked multiple times? And you're going, that's gotta be a design flaw. And it's yeah. like, Kansas City's also as a design surplus, uh, or a design yeah. plus from them, uh, that they figure out how to get that done. And he's so quick. Um, but yeah, there are, there are key mistakes at key times. I think, I think the biggest criticism I would have of San Francisco is one that you kind of had in the back pocket all season long. And it's not Kyle Shanahan's decision to, um, you know, take the ball first, which we, I do want to talk about because I think it's actually a really fascinating like yeah. thing that I've gone back and forth on. Um, but they took a kicker in the fourth round, and that <laughs> kicker's not very good. And yeah. it is he that and this extra point is like I know it it feel like the the phrase it's the difference in the game is like a little bit oversimplifying it because like oh well if they just had one more point then they won't go to overtime. But like think of all the strategy decisions that yeah. go differently down the end. Uh, because instead of kicking a field goal to tie the game, like Kansas City's now got to go for it if they're down by one. And like the the strategy on uh, for both teams when that game is is one point different, four to three in terms of the lead as that thing develops is is tremendously different for the final whatever nine minutes or, or whatever it was in that game. So um, that to me is like if you want to criticize San Francisco, yeah, they got in a rut offensively, um, but I credit Kansas city's defense. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They have a very silly special teams mistake, but like that's on some level, bad luck. The ball comes down and hits the dude's foot mm -hmm. perfectly. Although, you know, you obviously you want your punt returner to do a better job of clearing everybody. Um, you know, McCaffrey's fumble, like it's football. Yeah. Those things happen. You don't take a kicker in the fourth round, <laughs> um, unless it's Sebastian Janikowski and then you take him in the first and then you have 20 years of excellent kicking. Um, but that is the kind of thing that has been their bugaboo all year long. Like they took this kid in the fourth round and Moody hasn't been very good. And yeah. um, it just sucks that it, I mean, I hate it for Kyle and I hate it for that organization who I think is, you know, I think Kyle's the best coach in the sport. Mm -hmm. um, it doesn't change because Reed's got Mahomes. Um, I think that that's one of the best run organizations in the sport that doesn't change because they lost in the Super Bowl again. Mm -hmm. Um They've still made it there more than just about everybody else, except for that other team they played. Um, but at the end of the day, like that's a catastrophic mistake by that organization and comes back to bite him in the biggest moment. Yeah, that was a tough deal. And, you know, and everyone says I was blocked, but like it's a low kick, man. It's really, really low. And I think like those things, that's the kicker's fault or, you know, operation, whatever is happening there. You know, I didn't go back and study that, but yeah. And uh, those are, it's a it's a building block it's a piece and i know people kind of wanted to get like forget talking about special teams but they play huge moments in the game pivotal moments right miss field goal you know whatever and i just think um 
you you want to like invest there as a staff and as an organization, but like, is that resource, is that fourth round draft pick better allocated someplace else? And then you had to go through an extensive tryout in the off season. I don't know, but again, they must have had a really high evaluation on them and it's kind of a bummer that that didn't, didn't work out for them. So. Yeah. Um, the other big difference in this game for me for San Francisco is that Greenlaw injury is like, that's, yeah. that's just the, the worst luck that I've ever seen on an injury running onto the field blows his Achilles and the game was different. Like they, Kansas city attacked, uh, I think Burks is the backup and you just feel bad for the dude. Cause like, I mean, you feel worse for Greenlaw, but like if green, if Dre Greenlaw plays, like, does that game go to overtime? Like probably not. I think San Francisco probably wins the game. Like he's that good and that much of a difference maker. We'll never know because at the end of the day, like 15 still on the other side waiting, but hugely different and and the way that Kansas City started to open things up was attacking what should have been Dre Greenlaw. Yeah, and I think Dre Greenlaw like in addition you know you never know. Like we're we're playing this crazy hypothetical. First yeah. off, feel terrible for Greenlaw like what just like a terrible injury. Like we should you should do something on your train with the best podcast about that like is there an actual increase in Achilles tears because it just seems like everyone's getting them all the time now. Yeah. But, um, and just like, it's so, I, I don't even know what you do there. Like, yeah. I mean, he's just, he's running onto the field and I guess his cleat got, must've caught at a funky angle. Like what the hell? Well, I mean, this is kind of nerdy, but that like angle, that mechanism, like that drop step is like where you're yeah. really putting a lot of torque on the, but I mean, like he's yeah. done that a yeah, thousand yeah. times. And it's not like year. he's going, I mean, yeah. full speed, uh, but if anyway. it happens when he's going to run after a play, cause it's like an instant launch, but like, I don't think he's even going full speed. He's going to run on the field. Yeah, so really bummer. But I think the thing that I noticed when he was gone was just the energy. Like every play, him and Fred Warner were absolute maniacs to the football. The energy each tackle, the way they energized the sideline. And all of a sudden, this guy who honestly felt to me just watching, you know, and I don't know what he's like in the locker room necessarily, but felt like the heart and soul of that defense in the first quarter is gone. And I don't care how good that other guy is, that emotional investment you're getting from the team by losing that guy it's just, it's hard to weigh, you know, that guy that's just every tackle is up like an absolute lunatic. He's giving everybody high fives, getting headbutts in, like it does something for you. And that, that San Francisco defense, I think through the first quarter, probably through the, it's really right up to his injury looked awesome. And all of a sudden they were a little bit shook, a little bit out of sorts. And again, like his leadership, his energy, his physicality, I thought that was the other thing. I just was like, this guy's going to kill himself. Like he's playing so hard. <laughs> And so, yeah. yeah, I feel terrible for him, but I do think, like, to your point, like, his impact on that game up until that injury was was pretty dramatic, and it, it really is terrible that, you know, now he's probably going to miss the majority of next season as well, which is just, it's it's a dagger for a really good football player and a guy that, uh, you know, I was having a great time watching play, play a game, you know, playing with, like, a lot of passion and a lot of love for it, so that's tough. Yeah, really tough. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow, whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits. Shopify helps you sell everywhere, from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all right um the thing that everyone wants to seem to bring this game down to which i think is actually kind of silly is kyle shanahan's decision yeah and look i tweeted about it at the time but after hearing kyle talk about it and listening a little bit more like I, I understand. So 
uh, new overtime rules. And, yeah. and there's a little bit more backstory here. So I'll try to summarize as quickly as I can and not get too long winded. But new overtime rules went into effect a couple of years ago. This is the first time they've actually been applied. Uh, it happens to be in the Super Bowl. Uh, and Basically, each team gets a possession, barring a defensive score, safety, pick six, fumble recovery, turn, touchdown on the on the first possession. But each team gets an offensive possession. If you're tied after those two possessions, you continue to play in sudden death. Uh, because there is no data on this, you're relying on other things. And apparently, what Kyle Shanahan said after the game is that his analytics uh, folks had, had done as many simulations and such as they can and said that getting the ball first was the better option. That way, if you wind up tied after, whether it's 0 0 3, 3 6, 6, 7, 7, uh, after that first period, you get the first shot at sudden death. So getting the ball uh, third yeah. is, is, was why they made that decision. Now, the additional backstory uh, before we can get into why you agree, disagree, or don't really have a strong opinion on this is the Chiefs had apparently been talking about this since the preseason, that if we ever get in this situation in the playoffs, we are taking the ball second, and if we need to go, if, if the other team had scored a touchdown, we're going for two and we're ending this game one way or the other. So the Chiefs had a plan. Meanwhile, multiple San Francisco 49ers players were quoted in the locker room as saying they didn't even know the new rules existed. They mm. thought it was just like the regular season. So they were like, of course we took the ball first. And that was that. Kyle Juszczyk uh, amongst those who said that at the podium. So it seems like the team on Kansas city side, uh, was prepared. The yeah. team on the 49ers side was not prepared. The coach had certainly thought about it in Kyle and had a reason that I think is pretty interesting. Yeah. What to you matters or doesn't matter amongst all that. And, and what do you make of the decision? Yeah. I mean, I, I agree with, honestly, I agree with both perspectives and I, and I know that's kind of like the coward's way out. Uh, I think if I was a coach, I'd probably go with what Kansas city did. I, I, knowing, knowing the rules, knowing the totality of the rule, I probably want the ball second because then I know exactly what I need. Right. I right. know I can go for it on fourth downs. I can, you know, be a little bit more aggressive. And I think honestly, like, you know, Kyle probably should have treated that first possession that way, right? He should have been more aggressive to get a touchdown, I think, early on. But you don't have that urgency, right? That's not there. The scoreboard's not lit up with the wrong score on it. You are kind of like hedging for that opportunity to go to sudden death potentially, right? You know, like, well, I can't really screw this up because if we don't get any points, we're really in a bad spot. But I think when you saw Kansas City come out there like, well, we need to score a touchdown. We're going to and we're going to be aggressive to get that done. And I think um, it just it just gives you a little bit more as an offense, as a team, more urgency, more motivation saying, if we get this first down on fourth and one, we win this football game. And then you just do that a couple of times and you're in. And I think like, that's, that was the thing that stuck out to me just from like a psychology perspective as a player. Like I just like, and as a, as a coach, you know, I coach high school football. we spent a lot of time thinking about these situations. Like I want that. I want that. To, I want the absolute like, Hey, we need seven points. Okay. This let's go do whatever we can to get seven points. And I think that's that that motivation, as much as that other possession is really valuable, I would probably lean towards what Kansas City did in that situation. I do too. Um, and that was my initial thought, and that is where I land. But I also understand yeah. what Kyle's talking about 100%. <clears throat> and uh, Seth Walder from ESPN Analytics said they ran a bunch of simulations, uh, I think it was last year, and it was staggering how close it was, that it yeah. was basically 50-50 in terms of who won, which team got the ball first, or second. Um, I, I think that then that leaves open to kind of interpretation. Like, you know, when I tweeted out initially, like, why would you take the ball first? And I didn't think of like the getting the ball third thing. Yeah. Um, a lot of, a lot of people tweeted back and were like, Hey, well, their defense is exhausted. Like Mahomes just ran it down the field on them. And in that case, like that would make a lot of sense. And this kind of goes to, I think the problem sometimes when we talk about analytics is I, I think a lot of discussion about analytics happens in absolutes. And I think that's very silly because yeah. it, what analytics does is it gives you probabilities. And if it's a even if it's a 60, 40 probability, like if you, if there's a set of circumstances that makes you go as a coach, like I know that 60% of the time making the other decision win, but I'm pretty confident with how screwed I am right now for X, Y, or Z that I'm going to be in the 40. Yeah. I might go with the wrong analytic decision. Like if my defense is gassed, I don't want to put them back out there against Patrick Mahomes. Or if, you know, fourth and one is a 55-45 proposition, but I've already used my best fourth down play and I'm down two linemen, like yeah. I might I might punt 
uh, instead, or I might kick a field goal. And so these are the things that I think are really tough as a coach. Um, and also like, I, like the strategic element of this is pretty fascinating because yeah. like you said, if, if you're taking the ball first and you know, Kansas city's just gone down and, and the only thing that stopped them at the end, of the regulation was the clock. It was not your defense. Do you then play like we need a touchdown, but imagine making that call yeah. you're down there at the, and it's fourth and four, I think at the nine yard line. Mm -hmm going for that and you miss it and now Mahomes just needs a field goal like you yeah. just lost the Super Bowl so it really comes but down I, to like either way you, that, that's the thing I, I think that's a that's a brilliant way to characterize it because either way you lose the Super Bowl you have to operate right. I think in that situation under the assumption that he's going to score so this score a touchdown so the second you kick a field goal you lose the Super Bowl the second you don't go mm. for it you lose it you I know, think and that's I, totally fair and again like I'm not I'm not being critical because like that takes some absolute chutzpah to make that decision. You know, that takes some gall, but I think like, that's the way you got to think about it. It's like, that's how good that guy is. I don't want to give him any, anything less than scoring a touchdown. And I think, like, the but then do you go for two? That's, that's where it gets a little bit too. I, I again, you, according to my logic. Yeah, you should, right. You should. Well, just Cause drag. that's the thing is apparently right. Kansas city was, would have gone for two. And by the way, fact, uh, funny, wacky bit. Uh, the total in this game was 47, uh, or sorry, 40, 47 and a half, I believe was the total and or 46 and a half and the touchdown made it 46. Oh. Uh, and so if there had been that had happened in regulation and they have yeah. to kick the extra point where you right. don't do that in overtime, that would have hit the over instead of the under. Wow, I might have the numbers wrong because I don't remember but, the final score. But right. yeah, that's uh, that's what happened. I'm sure there's a lot of really pissed off people today. Yeah. Um, the uh, but the other thing that comes out to me is like coaching and like this is something that I think maybe gets better to like this thing this kind of amorphous we got analytics we got the numbers over here and I, I will say man there's something too when the team believes in that thing right so like the thing you're talking about how Kansas City knew we're taking the ball second we're gonna go score a touchdown and we're going for two like that's the plan we believe in it you get better execution and so to me that's where the analytics especially in a 50-50 situation you've tilted it to your favor, right? Like, for example, like there was, um, this is something a couple of years ago where it's like in, in fourth and short situations, it's better to go on two because you're giving yourself an opportunity to get a free five and then get the first down, right? Does that make sense what I'm saying? Yeah. And so that was a, a big thing for a while. But every offensive lineman absolutely despised that. They hate it because in a fourth and one, they want to just let it rip. They want to fire off the ball. They don't want any kind of indecision. And I think just, and even though that's analytically probably not the right thing to do, you're getting better performance from the players in that situation. And I think that's what Kansas City ultimately cultivated there was like they created a belief system and an ideology that fit the ideology of their team. And now all of a sudden they're able to say, hey, like this is who we are, this is what we're doing, and let's go make this happen. Let's win the Super Bowl. And I think there's a lot of value to that level of preparation that they all knew what they were doing. They all, and it might not, you know, it might've been not analytically supported as the right decision, but God bless it. You better believe those guys are going to make that sucker work because they believed in it. And I think there's something, there's something to that. That is, it's, it, you, you can't define it with a percentage. And that's where that analytic stuff, I'm a big analytics guy. You're a big analytics guy. gets a little bit fuzzy. It's like, it's not momentum, but it's like this placebo effect of faith in what you're doing that is really, really valuable. To me, I had this conversation a couple of weeks ago with Seth Walder um, on our show, right? Who I, I just mentioned is the, the or not the head of analytics. He, he got mad at me for calling him that because he's like, well, I work with a lot of people. I'm just the face of it. So he's the face of ESPN. The analytics, analytics he wasn't are. really mad at me. Yeah, he wasn't really mad at me about it. He's like, by the way, just I have to make yeah. a correction. Um, so he's kind of the face of ESPN's analytics department. And he's like, if momentum was real, the reason that analytics people tell you momentum isn't real is because then you would have like an outside, like you would overperform the number. Right, right. right. And, and that's why they say momentum isn't real. I'm like, I don't know, is it? And then it's just kind of accounted for in the numbers because momentum right. is real at all times. But like, that's a that's a different like hypothetical discussion. But where I th the two areas where I think, I think analytics can fall short or like, I don't want to say, it's, it's actually one area. It's, it's strategy. And it's like yeah. understanding that you're not dealing in absolutes, you're dealing yeah. in probabilities. And your job as a coach is to understand which side of the probability you're going to be on. And I think that's where analytics folks tell you, like, you should always do the thing that quote unquote will help you win more. But like, if you know, based off psychology, which is real, 
based off of uh, schematics, which are real, based off injuries, which are real, that you're going to be on the 30 side of a 70-30 that you just don't have the answer, then like you can't you can't make that decision. Um, and, and that's coaching. Yeah. And so I, I think that's where it gets really hairy and really complicated. And I know analytics like purists would would disagree with that and tell me, you're, no, you're just making an excuse. But like, I think I, I just... I don't just, I don't agree with that. And I think the other part about the psychology that you mentioned too, is like, you know, Kyle has often coaches in a way that trusts his defense. And like, we right. talk about the green law injury and true. like, can you, can you coach the same way? And like, what does that even mean? Does that mean right. you take the field goal and trust them? Or does it mean you go for the touchdown and say, Hey, we're trusting you that if we, if we don't get this, we're going to, you guys right. are going to hold them to nothing. Like right. it is there. It is tough. Those are like the real, real decisions that you got to make as a coach in the NFL, like, and, and I don't think that difficulty of real time, there are no hundred percent correct answers has ever been on better display than in overtime last night. Yeah, I totally agree. And it, that's why it was so fun, man. Cause those were like, you knew, you knew those decisions were going to be really impactful down the road. And you know, and I, but I think that's the thing. I had a conversation with a, uh, a sports psychologist. I don't know exactly what the person's designation was, but like those seem like the biggest decisions, right? But there was a third and five earlier that they missed. There was a holding penalty that got called. There was the fumbles, you know. And so, like, even though it seems like these, if you if you change the sequence of these plays, they just seem more important because they're at the end. But there's all these little moments throughout the game that that again lead to um, lead to more productive offense. Lead to you're up by seven yeah. instead of whatever. But I think, I think I think that the nature of it. I've thought about this a lot. Like, is a is a miss in a basketball game in the first quarter the same as a miss as time right. expires? And it's like. Points wise, yes, but I think the difference is like you have more chances to correct them. You fumble yeah. in the first quarter, you got a chance to make it right. You fumble on the last play of the game, or you miss a kick in the first quarter versus the game, the game winner. 100%. Like you're out of time to make corrections. You're out of time to overcome it. But I think that this person's point was if you operated under the principle that every play is the last one, then those other plays are just as impactful. And I think there's some truth. To that. We're saying the same yeah. thing, you know, like, yeah, yeah. We, no, I think we, it's a good we are human beings. We, we absorb information in a linear way. So the most recent thing seems the most important, but like as an athlete, you shouldn't think of it that way. Every play is its own thing, which is frustrating and annoying. But I also think when you look at the game in its totality that way, you say, Oh, wow. You know, there are all these, like the field goal is a great example, the third and five, whatever, like all these different plays. You're like, man, if that, they make this play if they make this completion if they call that penalty it's a different outcome and i know fans probably don't want to hear that but like that's something as a player and as a coach you think about all the time is like those five six seven maybe ten plays in a game that totally change the outcome and we talked about we you know Greenlaw, not even on a play walking in from the right. sideline what does that look like you know well it's kind of also the one degree theory right if you have one if you if you're navigation is off by one degree yeah and you fix it quickly like it ain't that big of a deal you keep sailing if, if you will uh you're gonna wind up in the very wrong place if you just keep on going because that trajectory is off and you know that's that's some of these strategic decisions that yeah. because of the score the situation whatever um you you treat the rest of the game differently it's not like you just change the points on the board it, it's everything that happens as a result all right uh, that's the, uh, the Super Bowl review here on Take Command. Coming up next, we will talk about the new additions to the Commander's coaching staff. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Wrapping up here, our final 10, 15 minutes or so on Take Command. I don't know how much longer it's going to be, Logan, because we haven't done this yet. That's how, yeah. that's how time works. Exciting. You don't know. 
We're not we're not on a clock. We're not in overtime. <laughs> we're in the fourth quarter. I guess we kind of are in overtime in a way. We don't know how much time is left. <laughs> By the way, speaking of the rules thing, that was a question I did have. I, I knew the new rules, but as that we got near the end of the first overtime, I did not know in uh, whether or not it was like that was the end of the first quarter or like, hey, does Kansas City need to score before time That's expired? What I thought, yeah, I was like, is the, they need to score a touchdown right here? Like, what's like, do happening? they need to get going? Like, yeah, what's going like, on? It was but really they, weird to watch. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, luckily, Gene Sterator on the broadcast did say, like, no, this is this is the first quarter. Um, because otherwise, I guess you would have had a two minute warning. Um, so that that oh, makes sense I as see. well. Um, but there you go. We all learned something, even if some of us learned more than others. Okay. Uh, Commanders have made a couple of hires since we last met, including one this morning, Bobby Johnson, uh, now the offensive line coach for Cliff Kingsbury and Dan Quinn. Uh, last couple of years, he's been the Giants O-line coach. I don't think the job he did in New York is why he's getting this job because uh, it has not been a pretty couple of years for the Giants offensive line. But uh, he's had some, he's had some other good results, good yes. stops, and uh, you know I think there's also a tape study to be done here that I know yes. we haven't had the chance to do yet where we go, okay, is this well designed and poorly executed, or do we have real questions about the hire that just got made? Yeah, and I, and I will say this though, like to to Bobby's maybe credit, and I've got to watch more film, obviously, of what's happening here. But just thinking back, like they do do a good job of like marrying run and pass concepts together from a formation standpoint. That's you know the offensive line coach. Obviously, they're coaching technical elements, but there's a huge tactical element to that job in terms of what runs do we like, you know, what are our best protections. I think from a run game standpoint, you see some some good stuff. You see guys that are well coached. Obviously, Saqu Saquon Barkley has had some explosive runs over his time in New York that we they're very we're very familiar with here in Washington. So I just want to point that out. Like I know that hire seems like oh no, that's tough. Like what's happening? But there are more layers to what that position does. And I also want to say like he's had a front row seat to see how to insulate an offensive line. I think New York because they have a bad one does a really good job of like calling plays, designing a game plan around insulating that group. So I think having that level of experience could potentially be very helpful. But again, so don't look at this as like on the surface and go like, oh my gosh, this is terrible. There are many layers to this position and hopefully like he's really good at these other elements and hopefully like, um, you know, maybe he just didn't have the right group of five guys up there in New York, and this is the right one for him. So, yeah. And so we'll do some more tape study and yep, dive into this deeper uh, probably next week. But I will also say, like, on the resume, even these last couple of years, like, Andrew Thomas was a second team all pro two years yep. ago. Um, so, like, young player development got, got a pretty good notch in his belt on that one. So, uh, we'll see. I, I think to me, the bigger concern, and again, this is a concern. This is not a death sentence. This is me. Uh, expressing out loud just thoughts. Just being honest, man. Just yeah. being honest, right? We're just yeah. talking through some just, stuff. We're just, we're just talking. Just a couple of guys talking. This guy's ball. not falling yet. We're just talking no. stuff. No, it's February. This guy can't fall. Uh, not <laughs> at least until uh, until September. Um, but I, I think that the concern that I have um, is exactly mirrored in excitement on the other side of the ball. So on defense, Dan Quinn has hired Joe Witt. Joe Witt's hired some folks, Jason Simmons, yeah. uh, who they've all worked together before. They come from the same school, school of thought. Um, they have personal and professional familiarity. And that's exciting to me. Like, let's get not like not in the way that Ron Rivera did, where it's like, let's just get the gang that didn't work, get back together. Like, these are guys that have worked together in successful situations. Let's get the continuity right. of success, right? As opposed to what happened, the ultimate bad example, I've used this a bunch of times on, on this show and, and the radio show, is like what happened in Carolina. I think Frank Reich and Thomas Brown and uh, you know all those guys that got there, there's a lot of good coaches that were offensively in the room last year for Carolina. They hadn't worked together before, and they didn't work together last year. They were That was a bad group. Yeah. And so I see Cliff hire, you know, or keeps Tavita Pritchard. I think yeah. Tavita was pretty well reviewed, uh, seemed to be very sought after, seems to be a good coach. Um, obviously, I think there's some questions about what happened last year, but how much of that was Biennemi, how much of that was Tavita, how much of that was you know, other people, whatever. Yeah. Tavita seems to be a good coach. Um, I think we think Cliff offensively is a good coach. Uh, Bobby Johnson, O-line, like, but it's a bunch of guys that got to come Brian together. Johnson, they got to, they got to come together. And I think that that can be done. And I think there are some similarities in how these coaches have coached in some various places. But I think one of the reasons that the offense did not go as well as BNB wanted last year was a lack of cohesiveness sure. on staff. Now he didn't get to pick any of those guys. Cliff at least is picking these guys, 
but it does give, it, it is something that has to happen. I'll put it that way. No, I, I 100% agree. And I think like, cause it's like any kind of professional environment, right? You want to be friends or have a, have a functioning working relationship with your coworkers, right? Like if we didn't like each other, this podcast wouldn't be very good, right? Because we Probably wouldn't not. be able to talk through some stuff. And I think that's what you're looking at here. It's like, you're getting guys together that I think are, that have good resumes in their own right. But it's like, how do they come together? How do they gel? <clears throat> Much in the same way when you bring in players to a new locker room, like how do they gel? If you bring the wrong piece and it doesn't work. So I think you bring up a great point about the defense. I think there's a lot to be excited about there, specifically in the back end. You know, like I'm really excited for the secondary. I think all of, the, all of their experience, all of their their kind of key data points on, along the resume is fantastic. But like you said, offensively, they've got some stuff that they got to talk through, they got to work through. And, um, you know, we won't have any kind of definitive information on that until we get later in the process. So, yeah. And I know you guys are talking to Cliff, uh, hopefully tomorrow, tomorrow, tomorrow or Wednesday. Uh, we'll see. Yep. Yeah. So command center should have a, a good interview. I would also recommend, um, a couple of years ago during the pandemic, I might've mentioned this on the last show, but, uh, a couple of years ago during the pandemic, uh, Sean McVay, I guess was bored. Uh, so he and Peter Schrager right. did a podcast. Um, and so, Cliff was a guest guest on that podcast. And I thought, I thought there was some interesting stuff in that pod about for like for Cliff talking about how it was a struggle at times to find the time to be in command of the offense because you have to be the head coach first. Like you have to kind of mix and match your, your time. And he gets in at 4am and watches the tape and it's the only time he can kind of get to himself. And he better be done by seven because then he's got to get ready for the team meeting at eight. Like right. that's just the reality. And so now him as an OC and it, it's kind of funny too seeing some of the stuff that went around. Like even last night after Mahomes wins, there was this great uh, list of Mahomes and his losses at Texas Tech under Cliff. And the stats are insane. Like he averaged in his losses 389 yards and three touchdowns. Wow. Average. That's incredible. Yeah. Average. And it's like, well, it seems to me like the defense was the problem. So maybe this Cliff only has to coach the offense thing might actually work out. But I do think, again, like the cohesiveness between he, Brian Johnson, Tavita Pritchard, and like making sure everyone is clear on their roles. I'm, I'm curious, like in your experience, have you been a part of staffs where there wasn't that cohesion? And then obviously, like I think most famously, that 2012 staff was very on the same page, or at least by the time the information got to you guys as a team right. was, was on the same page. Yeah, I think, you know, there every staff that I've been a part of, especially when it's not going well, like one that sticks out to me is like Chicago, like just guys that had kind of come from different areas, different backgrounds, different coaching trees. They all had, you know, they're all very smart guys, but they were like, this is the way we're going to solve this problem. And that just didn't jive, just didn't leave, lead to a productive offense. And I think, you know, we had a young offensive coordinator at the time. Dal Loggins, a guy who I think is really smart. He's now the OC uh, for South Carolina. So good job, Dal, back in the saddle. But um, you know, young guy and some older coaches underneath him that had a very strong perspective, a couple that were kind of on the way out, just kind of wrangling all those cats. I think, like you said, like you talked about the film element of being an offensive coordinator. I think there's a leadership element there too. Like this is the direction we want to go. And I think about Sean, I think about Kyle, um, you know, in both, both San Francisco here. And then when uh, Sean obviously was the OC and then even when I was in Houston and like Bill O'Brien's the head coach and there's the OC, like, there was a very clear vision for everybody, right? And I think there's that's kind of what that that offensive coordinator position needs to encapsulate. And I hopefully Cliff, because he's got the more time now, can kind of get that done and get everybody on the same page. And this is part of building the staff, right? And I think you hire these guys because you've got pre-existing relations with them and you believe in what they do. And I think ultimately, like, we'll have to see what happens. But, you know, uh, that's definitely something to keep an eye on. Yeah, Johnson's the one that's interesting to me, like, because – if you're keeping Pritchard, Johnson was a QB coach. Then he was an OC in Philly and he's got so much experience coaching quarterbacks. Like he, he was with Dak. Um, obviously he's been with Jalen. He's known Jalen since Jalen was six years old oh, wow. uh, because Brian's, uh, Brian, when he was a, a high school player was coached by Jalen's dad before oh, wow. going to Utah, uh, and having a pretty good career as a player there. So like, what is, what is his role? Like, what is his position? Like, what is his versus what is Tavita's? Obviously Cliff is a former quarterback. Like how involved is he there and whoever this young guy is. And just as long as there aren't too many cooks in the kitchen, um, I think it can work. One thing that I do appreciate is these, this seems to be a pretty young staff. Um, yeah. maybe Bobby Johnson's, I mean, Bobby Johnson's definitely a little bit older than the rest of these guys. He's been coaching for 14 years. He's the O-line coach, but, um, 
I, that is something that I have seen before. You know, I when when Kevin was the OC and Bill Callahan was on staff, like they butted heads because Bill thought he knew better at all times, and at times he may have been right. Right. Um, but there's and Kevin was ultimately the OC, and obviously Jay was the head coach, and then all of a sudden Bill was the head coach in that final year in 2019, and that was uh was not always pretty uh, all the time. So that that is a dynamic both in professional like you know one thing i like about brian johnson coming with cliff is like brian's played in a lot of uh like or he's a guy that uses a lot of spread stuff yeah so like similar personnel groupings but maybe some different ideas of how to deploy them like that could be really exciting yeah but how do they get along like personally professionally if you will not not do they go hang out and have dinner but like how do they interact as human beings in the building how do they respect each other? How is that information and those relationships presented to the players? And that's the same as in any corporate structure, but that stuff becomes obviously really important. And I think on the defensive side, because the familiarity, you're not gonna have to worry about any of that stuff. Yeah, totally agree. And I think uh, the other thing, I, you know, you mentioned like who who gets what responsibilities when it comes to Tavita, uh, Ben Johnson, and- Brian Johnson. Uh, Brian Johnson, excuse me, and then Cliff. I think, you know, one thing that you're seeing more and more with offensive staffs is you're seeing a run game coordinator and you're seeing a pass game coordinator. And that's just because, and I think you bring in that guy like Brian Johnson because he's got that ability to do that for you. Right. And it just helps streamline the process a little bit. You know, Kyle had a run game corner a long time for San Fran. I think Sean had a pass game guy. I think it might've been O'Connell when he was there. Like yeah. it's, it's a valuable tool. So just getting guys who know offense, we've got that background is extremely important. And I think, um, you know, we'll see how it all settles in, like you said, but I, I don't think it's, it's not a reason to be alarmed that there's these guys with kind of similar skill sets. Cause I think you just, as long as you give them clearly defined roles and give them responsibilities, I think you want guys that are, that are smart, that see things to get, like see things in a similar way and can come to, uh, easy solutions. No doubt. All right. So, uh, I would say the Thursday show. I think it'll be the Thursday show later in the week show, whatever shows the next one. Uh, we will reflect, uh, Logan, maybe give us some insight on the interviews with Cliff and, uh, uh, Cliff and Joe Witt, uh, assuming that you guys get those guys on command center, get a chance to talk to them. Uh, but I do think the bulk of that episode will be a mock draft. We promise you mock draft 1.0. So take command mock draft 1.0. Let's see where we are before we head into the combine in a couple of weeks. Uh, so plenty of draft coverage between now and the end of, uh, or I guess the end of draft season, the draft. Uh, also free agency primer needs to happen soon because free agency at this point is now like three weeks away, which is nuts. Uh, if you like this episode uh, and you're not subscribed yet, do, do that. Uh, subscribe wherever it is you're watching or listening right now. And we will see you later in the week for a mock draft. Yup, it's time on Take Command. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road, the steeper the better because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.